Good morning, church. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis 47 this morning. While you're doing that, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, Thank you for the privilege that we get to gather as your people on Sunday mornings, uh, to be refreshed by fellowship, to be refreshed by the preaching of your word, to learn more about who you are, and to make much of Jesus. God, we want to do this this morning. Would you stir and build up your church to know and love you more this morning? Would you make us more aware of your promises and the hope that we have in them? It's in Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Genesis 47. Church, this is the holy word of God, authoritative and sufficient for all things. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of, my, of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they had bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes, for our money is gone? And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock, if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when the year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. 
And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For all the Egyptians sold their fields, because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests it did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them, therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land, and at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones." And they said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Amen. May God, pre- may God bless the preaching of his word. Uh, one of the things that I love most about the Bible is how timely it remains. It doesn't matter how far in time we get from the actual events recorded in this book. Because this is the living, active, inspired word of God, no matter where or when you read it, it is able to speak directly into your life. It is God's special revelation of himself, and we find in this book all that we need for faith and godliness. It's those specific reasons that whenever I read the Bible out loud before preaching, I say that line, is the holy word of God, authoritative and sufficient for all things. I say that to remind myself and to remind us all that God is speaking actively to us this morning. And we must respond by listening and asking for his help to understand it and believe it and apply it. One of the things that we look for when we study a passage of scripture is the question, what is this addressing? In Genesis 47, that focus is around our propensity to not trust God. You can probably recall a time in your mind when you told someone in your life or maybe yourself, you need to trust God with that. And if someone asked you if you trust God, I'm sure that you would respond with, yeah, I trust him. But do you really trust God? When your accounts hit zero, do you trust God? When you lose your job, do you trust God? When you experience sudden and significant changes, do you trust God? 
when your health tanks or the cancer comes back, do you trust God? When you're betrayed or abandoned or deeply hurt by those closest to you, do you trust God? While we might say yes in theory, and we might like to think that we should say yes in all of these circumstances, the reality is that our circumstances can and do majorly influence what we put our trust in. So often we put our trust in tangible things, things we can see and hear and touch, like our homes or our money or our possessions. Sometimes we put our trust in people, our spouse or our family, our parents or our leaders, our friends or our coworkers. Sometimes we put trust in our own control, our plans, our work ethic, our healthy habits or our resolve. Maybe you're here this morning and some of those hit home. Maybe you're here and things are going pretty well for you. You experience success and things generally work out the way that you plan, but you trust in yourself. Maybe you're here and things aren't going very well. You're anxious and worried about things not going according to your plan. Maybe you're here this morning and things feel so chaotic and overwhelming that you feel like you can't even begin to make a plan or you're feeling defeated or even depressed that you can't stick to a plan at all, or every time you try, it feels like you fail or it all goes wrong. Friends, this morning, wherever you find yourself, God wants to speak to you through his word. He wants to remind us that no matter what our circumstances look like yesterday, today, or tomorrow, we can trust him. We can trust him more than success and power. We can trust him more than money and possessions. We can trust him more than any person in our lives. We can trust him with our worries and our fears. We can trust him with our plans and our dreams. We can trust him in all of our circumstances. What the whole book of Genesis has been teaching us and our chapter this morning is highlighting is that we can trust God more than anything, we can trust God with anything, and we can trust God in anything. And the reason, the biggest reason that we have to trust God is that he keeps his promises. This is our main idea for today. We can trust God because he keeps his promises. We can trust God because he keeps his promises. We're going to look at God's promises in three points. First, God's promises are trustworthy. Second, God's promises are fulfilled. And third, God's promises give hope. So first, God's promises are trustworthy. When we consider the circumstances of Genesis 47, we can see that there's quite a bit going on. The seven years of famine are ongoing, and everyone all around is trying to survive. In what must have felt like a major plot twist, Jacob is relocating his entire family to Egypt. And Joseph, who has just been radically reunited and reconciled with his family, is administrating the most powerful empire in the world. But things are getting worse. When we drop in on verse 13, we see this. Now there was no food in all the land. 
for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. No food anywhere around Egypt. The famine is getting so bad that there's no more food in Egypt, except for what Joseph had stored away during the seven years before the famine. In verses 13 to 26, we're shown a drastic and dire decline for the people of Egypt. This is the last few years of the the seven years of famine, and it is bad. Everyone spends all their money buying grain from Joseph to the point that verse 14 tells us that Joseph had gathered up all the money to be found in the whole land of Egypt and Canaan. Without any money to buy grain, the Egyptians come to Joseph and say, why should we die because we don't have any money? Give us food. So Joseph offers to give them grain in exchange for their livestock, to which they readily agree. Now all their livestock is gone, but they make it through the year. But that doesn't last. And so the next year, the people come to Joseph again and say in verses 18 and 19, all our money's gone and all our livestock is gone. All we have left is our bodies and our land. They say, buy our land and, our, and, our, and us, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. This is extreme. In a desperate effort to survive the famine, all of Egypt has given everything to Pharaoh. They've exchanged all their money. They've exchanged all their livestock. They've exchanged all their land. They've even sold themselves into slavery. Pharaoh now owns everything and everyone in all the land of Egypt. The Egyptians' severe circumstances have thrust them into positions every year to trust Pharaoh to provide for them. But every year it gets worse. Every year they have to sell more of their possessions, their land, and themselves in order to survive. And the crazy thing? Look at verse 25. After explaining all the terms of the sale and the details of the agreement between the people and Pharaoh, after all that, look what the people say. You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. They willingly, gladly initiated their own slavery. And they are grateful that Joseph has saved their lives. That's how bad this is. I want to pause here for a second. I think it would be very easy for us to read about these circumstances and think to ourselves, I would never do that. I would have planned better. I wouldn't let it get that bad. Or it just wouldn't get that bad nowadays. But church, the fact is that the human condition hasn't changed. Maybe the exact circumstances have changed or would look a little different, but our hearts haven't. How many of us willingly brought, bring debt on ourselves for something we wanted or seemed uh, urgently needed? How many of us have looked to get bailed out of tough circumstances no matter the cost? How many of us will resort to any means necessary to survive? You see, the heart issue hasn't changed. Left to our own, we will function just like the Egyptians. And if our circumstances get bad enough, there's likely no limit to what we'll do to survive. Just like the Egyptians, we need something outside of ourselves to trust in. 
They trusted in Pharaoh who did provide for them, but at extreme costs. But look at verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Whoa. Church, this whole section hinges on this verse. Egypt is trusting in Pharaoh and ends up barely alive, but has sold all their possessions and is in lifelong slavery as a result. In contrast, Israel is trusting in God and is not just surviving. They are thriving. This says they're gaining possessions and that they're fruitful and multiplying greatly. We've got this big chunk painting the circumstances for us and how trusting in everything but God leads to wanting and suffering and debt and slavery. But we also see in this verse that trusting in God leads to thriving and blessing and freedom. This one verse shows us that God's promises are trustworthy. Back in chapter 6, God said to, uh, chapter 46, God said to Jacob, do not be afraid to go to Egypt, I will be with you. Jacob responded in faith, trusting in God alone, and moved his entire family to Egypt. And what happens? They're protected and provided for. They're fruitful and multiplying greatly. They're thriving. Church, God's promises are trustworthy. When he says he will do something, he means it. When he says he knows you and loves you and cares for you, when he says he will provide for you and will help you, he will surely do it. This one verse shows us that what we have to do is trust him alone and live lives in faith. I know that that's not always simple. And I know that it's difficult sometimes. Just look at what Jacob and Joseph and their families have been through. They've been through terrible things. But they are actively trusting God. They're seeking to live in faithful response because God's promises are trustworthy. They're trusting God because he keeps his promises and he is keeping his promises to them actively and already. Which brings us to our second point. God's promises are fulfilled. In verses 1 through 12 of this chapter, we see the first glimpses of God's promise to Israel being fulfilled. That promise we saw last week in chapter 46 is this. Jacob, Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Here in the beginning of chapter 47, there's this incredible exchange between Pharaoh and Joseph and his family. Joseph is wise and clever and has earned Pharaoh's absolute trust and respect. So when Jacob and his sons tell Pharaoh that they're shepherds and they ask to sojourn and dwell in Goshen, Pharaoh doesn't hesitate. In fact, he tells them not to just sojourn or stay there temporarily, but to settle there. The land of Goshen is the best we have and it's yours, he says. Talk about evidence of God's blessing and provision 
and, and his presence with his people. God is already beginning to fulfill his promise to Israel. He is with them in Egypt. Then we see everything we already covered this morning, but now it means even more. These last years of the famine are desolating the land, and yet Israel in the land of Goshen is prospering and thriving. Remember what we saw in verse 27. Israel settled in the land of Goshen and gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Over these incredibly trying last few years of the famine, God is continuing to fulfill his promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Their numbers are growing. They are becoming a great nation. Through all of these different circumstances, God is fulfilling his promises. There's a couple things I want to highlight here. First is that God provides a place for us. Throughout the whole Bible, we see that God relates to his people in a special way through specific places that we can be with him. Think about it. The Garden of Eden, the tabernacle, the promised land of Canaan, the temple, and the church. All of these places are illustrations and reminders for us that God deeply desires to be with his people. He is a relational God, and that relationship is experienced at its fullest when we are in his presence. Church, Goshen is another picture for us of a place where God's people experience his blessing, provision, protection, and presence. He is fulfilling his promise to be with his people while they're in Egypt. This should fill and overflow our hearts with hope that our God keeps his promises. Because we see him keeping his promise here, we're reminded that we can trust him. All of these places are to point us towards eternity where God's people will dwell with him forever in heaven. Not only is this a reminder that heaven is a real place and that our time there is rapidly approaching, but it's a very needed reminder that we're not just waiting for that day to experience and benefit from God's presence. He is with us today. If you believe that Jesus is your savior and king, his Holy Spirit, his very presence is inside you. Christian, that should fill you with hope this morning. God has promised to be with you, and he most undoubtedly is. You can trust God because he keeps his promises. Another thing we see as Israel settles and thrives in Goshen is that God cares uniquely for us. In verse 28, we're told that Jacob lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. That is not just a random detail. It's, it is a beautiful thing that has meaning and intention to it. Do you remember how old Joseph was when his brothers sold him into slavery? 17, that's right. This verse is highlighting that Jacob and Joseph got to spend the same number of years together at the end of Jacob's life as they did at the beginning of Joseph's life. It's a beautiful thing. It may seem small, but I think it's significant, and there's a lot of meaning there for us as we relate to our Heavenly Father. Think about and be on the lookout for the little ways that God communicates His care for you. Maybe it's a breathtaking sunrise or sunset. 
Maybe it's a timely text or call from just the right person at just the right time. Maybe it's a lyric from a song that expresses how you feel better than you could even try. Maybe it's a specific verse or passage of the Bible. Maybe it's an understanding hug from a friend. Or maybe it's some unhurried time with someone you love you just need to be around. The examples are endless, and I'm sure you've got others coming to mind. The point is that God knows and loves us and cares for us, and not just in a corporate way. He knows you and cares for you intimately and in ways that only you can truly see and appreciate. Be on the lookout for those moments. Thank God for them. Write them down. Recount them later and let them stir your heart and soul towards the faithfulness and kindness of God that they represent. Every one of them is another example of God being faithful and trustworthy. He is a kind and faithful God, and we can trust him because he keeps his promises. In our chapter this morning, God is fulfilling his promises to his people. He does it through unexpected ways and through crazy and difficult circumstances. Back in verse 9, we see an incredible statement from Jacob. It says this. After Pharaoh asks him how old he is, he says, The years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. This is a sobering line. Uh, Jacob is simultaneously acknowledging that he hasn't lived nearly as long as his father Isaac or his grandfather Abraham and also recalling all the terrible things that he and his family have done, seen, and experienced over the span of his life. To put it plainly, Jacob's life hasn't looked like he expected. So many ups and downs, so much pain and suffering, maybe you can relate. God had promised to make his people a great nation, but all of a sudden there's a famine wiping out the land, and now Jacob's moving his entire family to Egypt away from the land of his fathers. It's times like these we, we feel compelled to say, God, what are you doing? Our circumstances can make us question God and his timing and his plan, can't they? We say things like, this isn't how it's supposed to go. Or there's no way I can get through this. Or how can this be what's best for me? When life gets hard or worse, we're prone to stop trusting God and start trusting ourselves or things we can see and touch. But church, everything else that we put our trust in besides God will ultimately fail. Just like we're seeing with the Egyptians. When we put our trust in anything but God, we will be let down. But when we put our trust in God alone, he will never fail us. This brings us to our third point this morning. God's promises give hope. Uh, When we consider all that Jacob and his family have been through and how hard this famine must have been, And then we look at the incredible amount of blessing and provision they're experiencing in Egypt. We've got to consider something. It would have been so easy for Jacob and his family to settle in Egypt, begin to experience all the provision and blessing and favor, and be content to stay there. Surely any need or want that they had was met. 
They had the best land, they had the best jobs, they had growing possessions and family. And yet when we look at these last verses, verses 29 to 31, we see something else. We see that Jacob's dying request is for Joseph to promise not to bury him in Egypt, but to take him back to Canaan to bury him with his fathers. Why is this here? Why is this significant? Because it shows us that Jacob's trust wasn't in his circumstances or his success or his stuff. Jacob's trust was in God and his promise. God had promised to be with him, and he was. God had promised to make him a great nation, and he was. God had promised that Joseph would close his eyes, and he's about to. God had promised that he would take Jacob up out of Egypt, and Jacob trusts that that will happen. Jacob wasn't just operating on blind faith, church. He knew that he could trust God's promises. And because God's promises are trustworthy, and because God fulfills his promises through all circumstances, there is hope to grab onto in God's promises. Jacob could have easily trusted in so many other things, and yet he knew that Egypt was not his true home, and that nothing in his thriving circumstances in Egypt compared to trusting in the promises of God. Believer, there is hope for us in this reminder this morning. No matter your circumstances, you have a God who has promised to be with you, to never leave you or forsake you, to give you peace, to be faithful to you, to be gracious towards you, and to work all things in your life together for good. In a word, God has promised to love you. And just like Jacob could look back on his life and recount God's faithfulness and see all the ways that God had kept his promises, so can you. You can do that by writing them down from your own life, and I'd really encourage you to do so. It is a lot easier for us to actively trust God when we can recount some of the ways that he has been faithful to us in the past or answered specific prayers or kept his promises But even if you don't keep that record, even if you can't recall ways that God has been faithful in your own life, you can open up this book and read over and over about God keeping his promises to his people. Over and over you can read through all of history. You can read about God being faithful and trustworthy. Over and over you can see how God works through all sorts of circumstances and people to bring about his perfect plan in its perfect time. And over and over you can read about how God has patiently, carefully, intentionally loved his sons and daughters all along the way. The clearest place we see this in the Bible is in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to live the perfect life that we couldn't, in circumstances that no one thought he would. He was conceived in what many would have believed to be scandal. He was born in a filthy barn. His family had to flee to Egypt so he wouldn't be killed. He lived a very simple life in a small town, etc., etc., These weren't circumstances fit for the king of all creation. Even more, he died the death that we should. Jesus didn't sin, not once. 
Even though he experienced all the pain and suffering and temptation that we do, he lived his life in perfect obedience to God. And yet he willingly gave up his life for you and for me to pay the debt that our sins rack up. He was brutally murdered in our place and was buried in a tomb that wasn't his. These are not circumstances fit for the king of glory. But he lived and endured all of this for a purpose. Each and every day he was increasingly fulfilling more and more of the promises of God. He lived through all kinds of circumstances trusting God the Father that they were good and necessary He walked every day closer to the death he knew was coming, knowing that it was good and necessary for you and me. Jesus knew the trustworthy promises of God that he was fulfilling would forever be the source of hope for Christians for the rest of time. Every time you feel alone or abandoned, look to the cross. Every time you have a doubt or fear that God is good, look to the cross. Every time you are anxious or worried about the future, look to the cross. Every time your plans fall apart, look to the cross. We can look to the cross for proof that God keeps his promises because Jesus didn't stay dead. Our king rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, rescuing us and making us free. There is no other place to look for a more certain assurance that God keeps his promises than the cross. Believer, every time we look to the cross, we see that Jesus fulfills the promises of God, proving them to be absolutely trustworthy and full of hope, no matter our circumstances. And it doesn't stop there. Because the greatest reality of Jesus fulfilling God's promises has yet to be realized. Remember that our God is relational and that he wants to be with us forever. Remember that he has given us glimpses of the place that he will be with us forever. Remember what Jesus said in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, there is so much hope in these words. Now maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking that this sounds great. Say, Drew, I would love to trust God's promises more, but I just, I don't know what they are. That's okay. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus. God's promises haven't changed. They're waiting for you to read them and memorize them and to fill you with hope. Let me give you two super practical places to start. Grab a red letter Bible or download the ESV app or go to esv.org. Open up to the Gospel of John 
and start reading Jesus' words, you will find promise after promise from our Savior to you. Those are things that you can count on. Those are things that should stir in you hope. A second resource that's super practical, it's a book called Promises of God. It's an old Spurgeon book that has been updated, created in a devotional way. A promise of God, a scripture text every day for us to reflect on and know what God's promises to us are. Church, God has promised to be with us. He has revealed himself to us in Christ and has made believing in Jesus the way to be with him forever. And he has sent his spirit to be within us until that day comes. These are some of the promises of God. They are trustworthy. They are fulfilled and they give hope. Church, we can trust God because his, he keeps his promises. You know, sometimes I read these stories in the Old Testament and I think, I wish I had faith like theirs. They didn't know who Jesus was and they couldn't read their Bibles like we can today. And yet they believed God. They lived lives full of faith and trust in who God was and what he promised to do. How did they do it? The longer I'm a Christian and the longer I read my Bible, the more I'm convinced that their faith was absolutely grounded and resolved in the character of God, who he was and what he promised to do. They didn't have the whole Bible or all the scholars and books and resources that we do now. They didn't have access to virtually endless sermons and commentaries and lessons. They couldn't travel as far as we do every week to be at the church that we want to be at. But you know what they did have? The same God that we have today. He hasn't changed, not even a little. So while we may learn more and more about him over the centuries, it's nothing new to him. His character has not changed. His plan has not changed. His desire to be with his people has not changed. His trustworthiness has not changed. His promises have not changed. And you can take all of that to the bank. We can trust God because he keeps his promises. Let's pray.